going to be like when we go to heaven. Some of y'all not in any hurry, I can tell. Didn't do a thing for you. But some of us enjoyed that, I'll tell you, too. That was wonderful. Thank you, Mike, Jim, choir, orchestra, everybody. Genesis chapter 4 in your Bible this morning. Genesis chapter 4. And the subject is calling upon the name of the Lord. Genesis chapter number 4. Well, you know, I've been out for a little while here with some surgery. And uh, it gave me a lot of time to think. I took a whole passel of books and articles and so on to read. And when I was confined, one of my mother's favorite verses was, it was good for me to have been afflicted that I might learn thy word. Psalm 119.71. It was good for me to have been afflicted. Sometimes God allows things to come into our life and stops us so that we will listen to Him. And I've been trying to listen because my heart is so burdened for the country, for the Lord's work. And as I read, I came to a conclusion. About the only hope we have in America is prayer. And no more than we pray in America, there's not any hope until that changes. Revival will come from prayer. The power of God upon his people and upon his church, upon the nation, will come from prayer. Had America been praying like she ought to have been praying, I don't know this for sure, but we may not be in the mess we're in. If we prayed before we voted, we probably wouldn't vote for a lot of the people that are in office. We would vote for none of the above in many cases. But America is not praying. The average Christian prays less than five minutes a day, including table graces. Lord, bless this food. Amen. Lord, keep me safe tonight. Amen little short prayerlets, but not really serious praying. And so the subject today is calling on the name of the Lord. And I read to you from the book of Genesis, but before I read it, let me just say one other thing. This is right at the dawn of history. I mean, we've had the creation week, and then we've had the creation of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve are created, and then in chapter 3, they fall into sin. So we have the fall, one of the most important events in all of history. And now we come to chapter 4, and it picks up the account. And even at this early date, mankind seems to be divided into two separate groups. And in chapter number 4, and in verse 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden, and he knew his wife, and she conceived. And then it gives the genealogy of Cain, the murderer, who had killed his brother Abel, as you know. Then we come down to verse number 25, and here is the godly line of Seth, the wicked line of Cain compared with the godly line of Seth. And Adam knew his wife, verse 25. She bare a son and called his name Seth. For God 
said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, and to him also there was born a son. He called his name Enos. Here's the, here's the message. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, what I see in verse 26 there, where it says, men began at that time in history to call upon the name of the Lord. Up until uh, then, when, before the fall, Adam and Eve had, had uh, spent time with the Lord every day, walking in the garden. There wasn't any need to pray. They were having conversations all the time. But then, because of their sin and because of the fall, we see that God withdraws His presence. And He's not coming now and visiting with people on an individual basis. And their sins have separated them from, uh, from Him. And so now, we see for the first time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Men began to pray and cry out to God to meet their needs. And that has always been, since this early day, the distinguishing mark of godly people. They pray. Godly people call upon the name of the Lord. That was true here in the second generation of humanity, and that's true as well today. Godly people call upon the name of the Lord. The distinguishing mark of Serious Christians today is that they call on the Lord, that they pray. And so when we fail in prayer, we fail in something that is absolutely so basic to our spiritual life that uh, we can't have a flourishing spiritual life unless we're people of prayer. In fact, the opposite is the characteristic of the wicked. And in the book of Psalms, number 14 and verse 4 one of the characteristics of wicked people is, quote, they call not upon the Lord. And so the Christian, the distinguishing mark of the believer is we call on the name of the Lord. The distinguishing mark of the unbeliever is they call not upon the name of the Lord. That's about as simple as you can say it, and yet it is so very, very true. Now, there's a number of things that we do when we pray but they're not the heart of prayer. I've already alluded in my prayer a moment ago to the fact that the Bible says that when we pray, we enter into His gates with thanksgiving and praise. And so, I always try to begin my time of prayer by thanking the Lord for His many blessings to me and praising Him. Someone said, we praise God for who He is, and we thank God for what He has done. And so those are not the same thanksgiving and praise. We thank Him for what He has done. We praise Him for who He is. And so we begin our prayer with praise and thanksgiving. And then a vital part of our prayer time is confession of sin. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my life or in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. And so if I pray with known and unconfessed sin, count on it. That prayer is not going to be heard. That prayer is not going to be answered. You're wasting your time. Stop. Search your heart. What deeds have you in your life that are sinful? What thoughts have you allowed to come into your mind and they're sinful? What motivations do you have in your life that are wrong, that are sinful before the Lord? 
And I believe that a great deal of time ought to be spent by God's people in quietness, just praying that the Lord will show me anything in my life that is unpleasing to Him, and then to confess those deeds and words and thoughts and motivations and so on. And then we think of prayer as being intercessory prayer, which is prayer for other people. And the great prayer warriors of the past, the people that we read about that prayed two or three hours, John Wesley, Martin Luther, folks like that, those people prayed intercessory. They were praying constantly for the work, the needs of the churches, the missionaries, the people other than themselves, the needs of people. And if we seriously took this, if we took this matter of prayer seriously, in this congregation alone, sometimes I just feel overwhelmed with the number of things I need to be praying for. And, and I honestly can't get my mind around them all. And that's just in one little church somewhere. And, and, and so intercessory prayer, meeting the needs of other people. People say, pray for me. And we say, yeah, and then we forget to do it. We don't even do it. We don't even follow through with it. You, everybody here could spend an hour a day if we sought to, to just remember the needs of our brothers and sisters and our family. And oh, my soul, our nation today, the needs. Have you prayed for the families in Chattanooga? Have you prayed for the family that their beautiful daughter was shot down on the wharf in San Francisco this past week and they buried her on Monday? Have you prayed about the state of affairs of the country? Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin against Israel, the nation, in ceasing to pray for my country. And God forbid that I would sin against America by neglecting to pray for my country. And then there's petition, our own needs. And all of those things, but you know, though I think those are important and they're biblical, I think we miss it on this matter of prayer because we fail to understand the very, very heart of prayer. Because God has promised us that he will answer prayers. And I wonder, do we pray with a real expectancy that God is hearing and he's going to answer this prayer? I have a great hope, a great belief, a confidence, if you will, that God is going to hear and answer this prayer that I'm about to pray. And it doesn't do any good to spend a lot of time in confession and thanksgiving and so on if, if God never comes and does for us what he promised to do. As a young preacher, somebody gave me a book, and I went to hear an old man. He's dead now. His name was John R. Rice. The name of the book was Prayer, Asking and Receiving. He later came and preached here. I have a number of copies of that book in my library. It's an old book. He was a very simple author by today's standards. But I read that book, and there's something in that book I never have forgotten. He said, prayer is not all these other things at heart. The core, the heart, the essence, the soul of prayer is very simple. We ask God for something, and he gives it to us. His definition of prayer was prayer, asking and receiving. Prayer, asking and receiving. Another of my favorite authors is a man named Andrew Murray who lived in South Africa a hundred years ago. He wrote a book that's the best-selling book of all time on prayer. If you don't have it, 
do whatever you have to do to buy it. The name of the book is With Christ in the School of Prayer. You can order it off of Amazon for $5. It is the authoritative classic on prayer. With Christ in the School of Prayer, Andrew Murray. I read to you something so powerful. Hear me. Quote, on a thoughtful comparison of what we mostly find in books or sermons on prayer and the teaching of the Master, there is one great difference. In the books and sermons, we find a great deal about the blessing of prayer as a spiritual exercise, even if there be no answer. And the reason we ought to even be content with just praying and never seeing an answer that God's fellowship is more important than the gift for which we ask. Though this teaching sounds high and spiritual, we find nothing of it in our Lord's teaching on prayer. Jesus wished us to think of prayer simply as the means to an end, and that the answer to a prayer was the proof that we in our prayer are acceptable to the Father in heaven. End of quote. And I thought about all these modern books, and I've got a shelf of books this long on prayer. And almost all of them slant it like this. You need to pray because in prayer, even if God doesn't answer the prayer, he'll change you. You need to pray because you need communion and fellowship with God. Blah, 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 blah. And I read those books, and they just turn me off. Maybe I'm not spiritual enough. That doesn't do much for me. But when I read Andrew Murray and John Rice, and when I read Jesus Christ, he says, you pray, and if you pray in the, with the right conditions, I'll answer your prayer. Now, I want some action at the end of that, don't you? Wouldn't you rather pray with the expectation God's going to hear and answer a prayer than you would just to mouth words and say, oh, I feel so, I, I feel close to the Lord, but, but, but I, I can't say that he's really doing anything in my life. This nation is desperate today to see God begin to work, to see God work again in America, in the lives of his people and in his churches and in the national life itself. And we're so prone to unbelief. I'm preaching to Bill Monroe. I'm so easily discouraged. Oh, God didn't hear the prayer. It must not be in the will of God. I don't guess God's going to hear me. And I let my human reasoning override and weaken the force of God's promises. And I shouldn't do that when the Bible is so crystal clear. What is prayer? Write it down there somewhere in your Bible. Prayer is asking and receiving. And I'm a, I'll give you seven verses right here, bang, 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 and you won't have time to look them up. I'm just going to read the salient part of the verse to you, but you might want to write down the reference there on your church program somewhere, and that way you will have a great number of God's promises regarding prayer. I begin in Psalm 55 and 17. Evening and morning and noon will I pray, and I will cry aloud, and he will hear my voice. Promise, isn't it? Is that a promise? Amen or oh me? He said, I'll hear your voice. 
Jeremiah 33 and 3. Call upon me. I will answer you. John 14, 14. If you ask anything in my name, no limits. Nothing is too hard for God. I will do it. John 15 and 7. If you abide in me, condition, and my words abide in you, condition, then what does he say? It sh- you ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. James 4 and 2. You have not because you ask not. And the logical flip side of that is if you ask, you can have prayers, asking and receiving. 1 John 5 and 14. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Turn with me to the last one, Matthew 7, in your Bible. This is a part, as you recall, of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 7. The words of our Lord, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Now, read that with me together, everybody aloud. Will you do that? I heard your pages still turning while I was reading, so come on, let's all do it together aloud. Matthew 7, 7, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Ask and it shall be opened. Promises of God answering prayer, the certainty of answered prayer. Now, let me take those three things that the Lord said there and give you a little bit more insight into them, hopefully. First of all, in verse number seven, he said, ask and you shall receive. Now, let me tell you what I think he meant, what he was meaning there. When we know the will of God, now listen to me carefully. When we know the will of God, that a thing is in the absolute will of Almighty God, then we simply ask Him, and He says, "If I will give it to you. You shall receive. So, you're here today, and you have an unsaved child. Is it the will of God for your child to be saved? Which is will that none perish, that all come to repentance. We don't believe this stuff that God chose some people to go to heaven and some to go to hell. No. It is God's will. You know that from the Scripture, that that child be saved. Now, you pray with that faith. You pray believing that. George Mueller tells the story of praying for a man for over 50 years. And that man never professed to get saved while Mueller was alive. And Mueller died, and the man came to the funeral and went home and got saved. You see, you and I don't know the future. We, all, we take our cues from the, 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 the circumstances around us. And we don't know what prayer that we're praying right now might even be answered long after we're going into eternity. You have a promise that if God said something that is in his will, you ask and you receive and you continue to pray for that. 
There's a wonderful promise, Philippians 4:19. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, we pray that, and much of the time we're praying that, and we're asking for something that's really not a need, it's a want. Lord, I want to buy the biggest house in town so everybody will know how successful I am. Well, I don't think that's in the view here. But I do believe that your needs will be met if you will bring your life into line with the will of God and, 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 and what I'm going to teach you in the rest of the message. And I believe God will meet your needs. I don't believe he wants his children out, out here running up and down the street hungry. I believe when that happens, people are not praying or there's some violation of some scriptural principle. And then he says, seek and you shall find. And why did he change it? Just a little bit. But sometimes we don't know the will of God. And so when I don't know the will of God, I pray seeking for the will of God until I find it. And so I continue to pray days, weeks, months, maybe years. But sometime I find the will of God. So I ask and you shall receive things that are absolutely known to be in God's will. Seek and you shall find. We don't know the will of God, but we're seeking. And that's why I use the word seeking there. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you remember the story. I won't stop and read it. The Apostle Paul said, I have this thing called a thorn in the flesh. Now, I think it was some sort of physical disease because later on he talks about his infirmity. So I'm assuming it was that, but I don't know for sure. But whatever his thorn in the flesh was, it was something that was causing him pain. It was something that he was grappling with. It was constant. And he said, three times I besought the Lord that he would hear me. Three different times. I don't think that he meant that three different days he popped down and prayed for 10 minutes. I think he went through maybe 30 days or a period of time when he prayed with all of his heart to God and asked the Lord to remove that thorn in the flesh. Maybe it was over a period of even years he was doing this, and, and, and it seemed like heaven was cement. It was shut up. It was hard. God was not listening. And then he said this. Paul said, I prayed these three times. But the Bible says that God answers prayer. And he answered that prayer. He just didn't answer it the way Paul wanted it answered. And you and I get this idea, we're going to manipulate God and tell him, this is what I want, or that's the only answer I accept. Oh, no, that won't go. You can't manipulate God in prayer. And Paul said, the Lord spoke to me. He answered me. He said, I'm not going to take that thorn in your flesh away. But Paul, I'm going to give you grace sufficient to bear it. And then he said what? I glory in my infirmities. I can live with this thing because God has answered my prayer and he's giving me grace to deal with this every day. He didn't choose to remove it, but he's given me the grace to deal with it and handle it. Now he sought and he found he didn't know the will of God. He prayed and the Lord revealed to him the will of God. I'm not going to remove that from you, but I'm sure going to give you the strength to bear it. The third thing here says, knock and it shall be opened. And I believe that's when we know God's will, 
but for whatever reason, God chooses to delay the answer. And remember, God's delays are not denials. In the book of Luke, it tells the story of a man that was sleeping one night, and some guests came to his house late. They didn't have all the motel chains like we have then. And so, a group of his friends arrived to spend the night with him, and they were hungry. They had traveled all day. And they said, do you have anything to eat? And the man said, I don't have any bread in the house. And the Lord gave the story. He went to his neighbor next door, pounded on the door. Could you give me some bread? My friends have come, and they're spending the night, and they're hungry, and I need to entertain them. And I'm sorry, I don't have any way to show them hospitality and food. And the man said, leave me alone. I'm already in bed. My kids are asleep. You're going to wake them up. And the man knocked again. He kept on knocking. The man kept hollering, leave me alone. Get out of here. And then do you remember the story? (laughs) The man finally said, that neighbor of mine is driving me nuts. I'm going to get up and give him that bread because I can't go to sleep until I do. And the word for that is importunity. That's not a word we use every day. Importunity which means to pray with persistence, to ask and keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking, to knock and keep on knocking with believing faith in our hearts. And God said, the door will be ultimately open for you. And that encourages us to keep on praying when we don't get a ready answer. But in all three of these, you see, prayer is asking, and it is receiving. It's not just communion with God. It's not just for our benefit to grow closer to the Lord, though that is good and that's important, but no. Prayer is so God can work in our lives and we can see his demonstration of reality. But it's more than our words. Here's something big we've got to understand, and it's basic, but perhaps you know it, but it's, it's so important. Real prayer is more than words. It relies on our heart attitude as much as what, more than what we say, actually. Go to Luke chapter number 18 with me in your Bible. And all of these are straight out of the words of Jesus. These are read in your red letter Bible. The teaching of Christ on prayer. And I'm not distorting this. I'm not bending this. I'm not spinning this. It's that we have, in in, in contemporary life, we've almost been taught to be unbelievers when it comes to getting answers for prayer. We've almost been taught that prayer is therapy, That, that it's communion, it's fellowship, and it is all those things. But I want to give you the hope that God can hear and answer prayer. Luke chapter number 18. And the story here begins down in verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Publicans were tax collectors, and they were hated. They were social outcasts. Nobody had anything to do with them because they tended to work for the Roman government and cheat their fellow Jews out of the money. They were known for being dishonest, as is the IRS. Nothing ever changes, does it? What's in the news today? How crooked the IRS is, stealing your information and all. 
I didn't get a roaring amen, a standing ovation for saying that. Do you folks watch the news? Republicans haven't changed a bit. Not a bit. This old tax collector goes up to pray with the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. (laughs) I heard a man preach on this, and he said, the Pharisee went up to brag. He didn't go to pray. Now, notice his heart attitude. Oh, what a wicked heart. God, I thank you I'm not as other men. Condescending, proud, looking down on people. I'm not like those extortioners, those unjust, those adulterers, even as this publican, and he looks over at this poor man and looks down upon him and despises him, feels he's a social cut above him. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He just goes on bragging, bragging, bragging. Notice there the eyes five times in two verses. I. Ah, 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 ah. It's all about him. Wrong heart attitude. What does that? What does that Pharisee's attitude depict? Pride, self righteousness. He's coming on his own merits. I give tithes. I fast. Now look at the other man. This is the right. This is the heart attitude God wants from us. The publican standing afar off, didn't even want to approach. He probably respected that Pharisee, looked up to him. He would not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, which is a Jewish mannerism. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Very few words, but the right heart. Very few words. We're not heard for our much speaking. We're, it doesn't do any good to speak at all if the heart is not right. It's the heart that prays. A little insight into that word merciful there. He said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And our English Bible doesn't give the full import of that. The word merciful there actually has the idea of be propitiated unto me, and that's a big term, but here's what he meant. He meant, Lord, over there they're offering you sacrifices beyond that wall in the temple. And they're shedding the blood of little lambs for the sins of this nation and for my sin. Lord, be merciful unto me based upon the fact that the shed blood of those sacrifices covers my sin. He didn't come on his own merits. He came on the merits of the shed blood. He didn't look down on anybody. You see his humility before God. You see his utter dependence upon the Lord He's not talking about himself. He's focused upon the Lord. And today, you and I pray the same way. Do you want God to hear you? Humble yourself. And we come on the merits of the shed blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't come on my merits. What a a joke. What a blasphemy if I were saying, 
God, I'm the pastor of a Baptist church. You know me. I do a lot of good things. No, no, no. God, I don't deserve anything from you. God, I come on the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you hear me because of your son? And in utter dependence, I cast myself upon him. That's that hard attitude. So what do we do then when we pray and receive no answer? What do we do? Well, if I'm praying for something and I'm not getting an answer, there's something wrong with the prayer or there's something wrong with the prayer. That's my logical deduction. Not anything wrong with him. So I search my heart. Go to Matthew 7 again with me quickly. Because this is, I, I had to give you that background to get you here because I want you to begin to pray expecting God to hear and answer. But there's a process we go through. We don't just pop down and come into the Lord's presence and start telling him what we want. The first question I would say, if I'm not getting answers to my prayers, go to verse 11, Matthew 7, 11. If you, being evil, being a sinful person, know how to give good gifts unto your children, and we sure do, how much more, notice that phrase, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? If a sinful father or mother loves that child and will give the best thing they can to that child, how much more would the heavenly father give to his children? And so the first question, if I'm not getting my prayers answered, is am I saved? Am I calling God father or is he really father? Is there that relationship? Is there a born-again father-son relationship? Because I give my children good things. Wouldn't the almighty creator, the universe, be willing to do as much for me as I would do for my own child? That's the question Jesus asked, and the answer, of course, is sure. So I check my relationship first. Number two, if I'm saved, is there a sin in my life that I haven't repented of? Because Psalm 66, 18, write that down there in your Bible. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I have these sins in my life and I'm not doing anything about them and I'm just going on with them, no matter what they are, oh, that's a little thing. Oh, the Lord doesn't, I don't know that he always agrees with that. If I regard iniquity, sin in my life, then the Lord will not hear me. And so I think in serious prayer, if we mean to get our prayers answered, we spend a great deal of time heart searching before we start asking, God, show me. Search me, O Lord, Psalm 139, and know my heart and see if there be any wicked thing in me And Lord, wash me in the blood of Jesus and take that away. Now, one last turn in your Bible. John 15. I call this the all-inclusive condition because the Bible lists a number of conditions. Praying in the will of God. Praying in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Husbands and wives, if you're fighting and not getting along your marital relationship, your prayers will be hindered, 1 Peter 3. It gives all these conditions up and down that we know about, but there's one condition I think covers them all. You don't need to memorize 10 conditions. John 15 and verse number 7. Our Lord said, the night before he died, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, here's the promise again, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. The all-inclusive condition, the, the one question else that we need to answer, first, am I saved? Secondly, is there known unconfessed sin? And thirdly, am I abiding in Christ? What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, the whole chapter here is about a vine and branches. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches, the limbs that we're related to him. We're organically fixed into him. We're in Christ. And his life flows through the Holy Spirit in my life and your life as a believer. And so Christ and us have this relationship the same relationship as a vine and the branches, the limbs. And to abide in his word, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, to abide in his word is to allow his word to shape our thinking. We live out in the world 160 hours a week and very few hours separated from the world. And the world shapes our thinking. And if you and I could step back and analyze, we would we would think, boy, how much I think like the world around me. We imbibe its thinking, its philosophy, its ideas. And if we're going to abide in Christ, it means we allow His Word to shape our lifestyle, our worldview, our thinking. To abide in His Word is to be obedient to every command that He asks us to be, submissive. If my children are asking me for a gift and they're disobeying me, I'm not going to give them the gift. I said, when you all learn how to be obedient and obey, then Dad will talk to you about giving you a gift. And so we pray and we waste our time praying because we're not obedient. I don't feel like doing that. Okay, you don't feel like doing that, the Lord says. Well, then I won't answer your prayer. I give my good gifts to the children who are obedient to me. Let me, let me give an application. Look up here and listen to me. The most urgent need in our church is a revival of prayer. It's not exciting. It's not thrilling to people who are not very spiritually minded, but I'm going to tell you, that's the need. 168 hours ago, you sat here and listened to me preach last Sunday. One week, seven days. Do you know what's happened in those seven days? Greece has gone bankrupt and the world economic order is in chaos. The United States signed a nuclear deal that the only person that's proud of it is the administration. Everybody else is condemning it as a way to basically arm Iran 10 years from now with a nuclear weapon and we'll pay for it with trade. Does that concern you? We watched on television this week as a Planned Parenthood executive, a lady, sat at a 
lovely restaurant in California and bragged about not mangling the body of the baby when they took it out in an abortion. That if we preserve the heart, the lungs, and the liver, we can get 50 to to $100 for each organ. We are selling human organs in America. Have you ever read what Hitler and the Nazis did with human organs? That's since we met last Sunday. All of these. This is, not, this is new news. And then in Chattanooga, there's four young Marines and that sailor. And down in Mexico, El Chapo, the head of the world's largest drug cartel, escaped from jail. What a brilliant man. A tunnel a mile long and three stories deep, and he's sitting in a jail cell, and it just happens. And last night, I heard something that I would never have thought. They analyzed that escape and that man, El Chapo, and his gang, his cartel. And then they said... In Chicago, Illinois alone, there are 100,000 100, members of his cartel already in America. Don't you think it's time to pray, America? Don't you think we need revival, a moral spiritual cleansing and turning back to God in this country? Are we going to wait on the other churches to do it? Maybe we ought to strike the first match. And that's the nation, and we can do very little about the nation except pray. But as I told you, my phone rung three times this week, and the message came that somebody had cancer. Now look across this congregation, wayward children. Some of you, your heart is so heavy. Your kids have become skeptical of the Christian life, going to college somewhere and just been beat on. I had a wonderful conversation with one of our fine young men this week. He said, I'm going to a Christian college this week, this fall. I got 80 hours already in a secular school. I'm transferring because I'm tired of hearing God bashed every time I walk in the classroom. There are 10 families that sit here regularly that have children who've become homosexuals. 10. It's commonplace. In a time we, we get serious about our Christian life, broken marriages, people living together, but love is gone. There's depression, loss of hope, despair, lost our joy, lost our peace, financial problems, job uncertainties, addictions, drugs, alcohol, all the rest. And then there's those private sins that lurk in our hearts, bitterness and lust and envy and covetousness and pride and all those respectable sins because nobody can see them. There's the need for God's power in this church. And there's our missionaries. Sixty-some of them are spread across the world that so desperately need us to be interceding for them. Don't you think we need to pray?
Do you have a better plan? Propose it. Oh, we need, we need God. Bow your head with me. You've just heard the message on prayer, asking and receiving, that God has promised to answer the prayers of His people when we pray and meet His conditions, which I outlined in the message. I want to encourage you, my Christian friend today, to renew your covenant to pray for America. We absolutely must begin to humble ourselves to pray to repent of our sins and to turn to God as Christians. We can't do anything about what they do in Washington or at the UN, but we can take personal responsibility for our own lives and seek the face of God. And so I encourage you to do that. If God touched your heart through this message, you may even want to send us an email or a letter and let us know that you're signing up and making a commitment with the Lord to pray for the nation and to learn to pray in a way you never have at a much deeper level to, f- to spend time with God every day. And for those of you who don't know Christ, perhaps you listen today and the Lord touched your heart as well. I sure pray that that would be true. And the Bible's promise is as true as it ever was Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that's to talk to the Lord in prayer, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you don't know Christ right now, bow your head and just tell the Lord that you've sinned and ask Him in simple language to come into your life and to save you. Tell Him you're trusting in what Jesus did for you and not anything you can do for yourself. And He will save you today. And then contact us and let us know about it so that we can send you some literature to help you. Thank you for watching today. And may God bless you and yours in this next week. Thank you for.